Well, I'm glad to see each of you here today. I know this has been an interesting week, to say the least, um, and uh, some turbulent times in a number of ways. Uh, I appreciate it very much what Chris had to say in his prayer, uh, real or not. Um, there are things that we are facing, for sure, and uh, many decisions to be made by individuals as well as organizations and uh, for that it's something to think on very carefully and cautiously and yet I think also with much wisdom uh, and uh, not overreaction if you will uh, but uh, but a lot of thought but being in the middle of all that this last week I'm gonna divert from previous plans and speak on something a little different this morning uh, I've been preaching a series of messages on what to do when you don't know what to do, and actually that might fit really well with what's currently going on. Uh, but I came across something a number of years ago that I think really fits the mindset that we find ourselves in currently. And so I want to share that with you this morning and uh, kind of give us some food for thought in view of those things. So... I want to begin by reading a story to you, and this is uh, written by an author named Matthew Kelly, so this is not unique to me uh, in any way, form, or fashion. I want to read this to you, and uh, I promise it's not written about what's actually going on right now. This was written quite a while back, um, but I think you'll see the parallels, and then more than that, I hope we see the moral of the story, if you will, by the time we get to the end of it. He says, imagine this. You're driving home from work next Monday after a long day. You tune in your radio. You hear a blurb about a little village in India where some villagers have died suddenly, strangely, of a flu that has never been seen before. It's not influenza, but three or four people are dead. And it's kind of interesting and they are sending some doctors over there to investigate it. You don't think much about it, but coming home from church on Sunday, you hear another radio spot. Only they say it's not three villagers, it's 30,000 villagers in the back hills of this particular area of India. And it's on TV that night. CNN runs a little blurb. People are heading there from the disease center in Atlanta because this disease strain has never been seen before. By Monday morning when you get up, it's the lead story. It's not just India, it's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And before you know it, you're hearing this story everywhere. And they now have it coined as the mystery flu. The president has made some comment that he and his family are praying and hoping that all will go well over there. But everyone is wondering, how are we going to contain it? That's when the president of France makes an announcement that shocks Europe. He is closing their borders. No flights from India, Pakistan, or any of the other countries where this thing has been seen. And that's why that night you're watching a little bit of the news before going to bed. Your jaw hits your chest when a weeping woman is translated into English from a French news program. There's a man lying in a hospital in Paris dying from the mystery flu. It has now come to Europe. Panic strikes. As best they can tell after... Contracting the disease, you have it for a week before you even know it. Then you have four days of unbelievable symptoms, and then you die. 
Britain closes its borders, but it's too late. Southampton, Liverpool, Northampton, and it's Tuesday morning when the President of the United States makes the following announcement. Due to a national security risk, all flights to and from Europe and Asia have been canceled. If your loved ones are overseas, I'm sorry, they cannot come back until we find a cure for this thing. Within four days, our nation has plunged into an unbelievable fear. Does this sound familiar? People are wondering, what if it comes to this country? And preachers on Tuesday are saying it's the scourge of God. It's Wednesday night and you are at a church prayer meeting when someone runs in from the parking lot and yells, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. And while everyone in church listens to a little transistor radio with a microphone stuck up to it, the announcement is made. Two women are in a Long Island hospital dying from the mystery flu. Within hours, it seems, this disease envelops the country. People are working around the clock trying to find an antidote. Nothing is working. California, Oregon, Arizona, Florida, Massachusetts. It's as though it's just sweeping in from the borders. And then all of a sudden the news comes out. The code has been broken. A cure can be found. A vaccine can be made. It's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected. And so sure enough, all the Midwest through all those channels of emergency broadcasting, everyone is asked to do one simple thing. Go to your downtown hospital and have your blood analyzed. That's all we ask of you. When you hear the sirens go off in your neighborhood, please make your way quickly, quietly, safely to the hospitals. Sure enough, when you and your family get down there late on that Friday night, there's a long line. They've got nurses and doctors coming out and picking, pricking fingers, taking blood and putting labels on it. Your spouse and your kids are out there and they take your blood and say, Wait here in the parking lot and we'll call your name. Then you can be dismissed and go home. You stand around scared with your neighbors wondering what on earth is going on and if this is the end of the world. Suddenly a young man comes running out of the hospital screaming. He's yelling a name and waving a clipboard. What? He, he yells it again. And your son tugs on your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. Before you know it, they have grabbed your boy. Wait a minute, hold on. And they say, it's okay, his blood is clean, his blood is pure. We want to make sure he doesn't have the disease. We think he has the right blood type. Five tense minutes later, out come the doctors and nurses. They're crying and hugging one another, some even laughing. It's the first time you've seen anybody laughing in a week. An old doctor walks up to you and says, thank you, sir. Your son's blood is perfect. It's clean, it is pure, and we can make the vaccine. As the word begins to spread all across that parking lot full of folks, people are screaming and praying and laughing and crying. But then the gray-haired doctor pulls you and your wife aside and says, may we see you for a moment? We didn't realize that the donor would be a child. We need you to sign a consent form. You begin to sign and then you see that the box for the number of pints of blood to be taken is empty. How many pints? As when the doctor's smile fades. He says, we had no idea it would be a little child. We weren't prepared. Sir, we need it all. But I don't understand. He's my only son. The doctor says, we're talking about the world here. 
Please sign. We need to hurry. Can't you give him a transfusion? If we had clean blood, we would. Can you please sign? In numb silence, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? Could you? Could you walk back and go to that room where he sits on the table saying, Daddy, Mommy, what's going on? Could you take his hands and say, Son, your mommy and I love you, and we would never let anything happen to you that didn't just have to be? Do you understand that? People all over the world are dying, is what the doctor says. But could you leave? Could you walk out while he's saying, Dad, Mom, Dad, why? Why are you leaving me? And then next week, when they have the ceremony to honor your son, some folks sleep through it. Some folks don't even bother to come. Some folks have a pretentious smile and pretend to care. Wouldn't you want to jump up and say, excuse me, my son died for you. Don't you care? Does it mean nothing to you? The author goes on to say, I wonder, is that what God wants to say? My son died for you. Does it mean nothing? Don't you know how much I care? (laughs) Our world is in quite a bit of panic over the coronavirus. Could I present to you this morning that Sin is the disease that we really should be worried about. I've seen a number of people through social media and different places say something along the lines this week of, if we were as worried about sin and our souls as we are about this virus, And I do wonder when times like these come around if it's good for us in a sense because we do reset our focus and we're forced to consider our humanity and we're forced to consider the fragile state of life. And we're forced to think about what really matters. And I don't mean toilet paper. Because times like these reveal just how messed up as human beings we can be in the head. Distracted by so much that really means so little. 
I want to remind us of just a few verses in view of this this morning. Sin is the disease. That's what we've got to deal with. We may suffer in this lifetime from the common cold, from influenza, from COVID-19. And any of those things might even take our lives. But none of those things ultimately matter. Because we know that we're not promised a forever in this life anyway. So, come my final day today, tomorrow, or 50 years from now, 100 years from now, or in the next 10 minutes if the Lord returns to claim us as His own, I better get my mind on the things that really matter. And the disease that unbeknownst to many is eating us from the inside out. And it's sin. In Matthew 10, Jesus said it like this, better than I can say it. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, there's a lot of fear in people right now. But how many really have the fear of God in them? And the fear of God in that I understand my soul will be in the hands of God when I pass from this life to eternity's gates. Do not fear those who kill the body. Don't be afraid of the coronavirus. Don't be afraid of the flu. Don't be afraid of government. Don't be afraid of anything. Except God, who has the power to destroy soul and body in hell. Look with me to Romans chapter 3. I, I want to read, actually, not just Romans 3, but several sections of verses from Romans 2, 3, and 5, and 6 in particular. It seems that Paul felt it necessary to write to the church at Rome about some of these same kind of concerns that we might be well to think about today. In Romans 2, in verse 1, he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. He's just saying, you know, we're, we're all guilty. Verse 2, verse two he says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Whose judgment really matters? God's judgment. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those who are practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's a rhetorical question. Who's going to escape the judgment of God? Nobody. You know, a lot of people want to escape the coronavirus right now. But how many people are stopping to think about the fact that they're not going to escape the judgment of God? Far too few. Verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to their deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good for the Jews first and also for the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Judgment day is coming. Coronavirus day may or may not be coming for each of us. But judgment day is coming. And God will be the righteous judge. And so I don't care how scared you are of anything on earth, you and I had better be appropriately fearful and in awe and in reverence for the coming judgment day of God. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, as Paul has been reasoning with them about Jew versus Gentile, and you know, does circumcision avail anything? Does it benefit to be a Jew versus be a Gentile at this point in time? And he's kind of gone back and forth about all these different things. And he says in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Are we Jews better than they? Uh, Greeks? He says, Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, notice this, that they are all under sin. You know, and it's not a surprise as we read through the Old Testament and even the time of Christ that the Jewish people believed in them as they were the chosen people of God. In many ways, they felt like they were a privileged people and that they had a red carpet rolled out for them into the presence of God. And yet we see that God has repeatedly shown them, no, you're not perfect. The people of God were always to be looking for whom? For the Messiah. To save them from their sins. And so whether Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. They are all under sin. And he quotes from the Old Testament, in, beginning in verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who do, does good, no, not one. You know, we would be singing praises and joyful if someone told us today that, you know, that our community even would be forever free from the coronavirus, that no, not one, not one of you will succumb to this because a barrier has been put up around this community. And what kind of praises would we sing if a barrier like that could be put up around the state and around the nation? And why stop there? How about around the world? But you see, really, when it comes to sin, as the disease, the reverse is true. You might as well stop looking for a barrier to protect you and protect me. Because there's not one. 
We all have it. We all have succumbed to it. We all have been infected by it. Keep reading with me here in Romans 3. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. What do you mean there's no difference? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sin is the disease. Can we see that Jesus is the cure? The cure is not closing borders. You see that? The cure is not self-quarantine. The Jews tried that. You know, they had their sects and they had their groups and they had their holy temple and they had their walls around the temple and you could only pass through if this and that and so where they had borders and barriers and were they sinless? No. No, not one. But you see the statements made here in Romans 3 in verse 22, the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cure. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in verse 23. But notice verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace, how? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Explain that more, Paul. He does. Verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? Literally, mercy seat, the taking the place of. In our place. Propitiation, how? By his blood. Through faith. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins. Sins, the problem, sins, the disease. Verse 26, that God may be the justifier of who? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus is the cure. Go with me to Romans 6. In Romans 6, in verse 23, I'll go to the end first and we'll work backwards. In verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus, again, is the cure. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go back uh, to verse 4. Verse 3. 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So Jesus died in our place, and by baptism, we also have a symbolic dying with Jesus. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is not... We're not drowning ourselves and literally dying, but we're being buried with Christ in baptism to rise and walk a new life as promised by God, by faith in Jesus, through the power of the blood of Jesus. In verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin... Again, sin's the problem. We've got the disease that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. For if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. You think anybody right now has let coronavirus have dominion over them? Yeah, and that's probably a little bit foolish. You know what else we need to realize? There are many that are living and allowing sin to have dominion over them. And that's beyond foolish. That's eternally deadly. Verse 10, for the death that he died, that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God once for all Jesus is the cure are you ready for this do I need to remind you again you are infected I am infected maybe not with COVID-19 but certainly with S-I-N sin In Romans 5, in verse 6, we read, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Jesus is the cure. But that doesn't matter until you realize that you're infected. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If somebody put out on the national news right now 
come to this place and you'll be vaccinated from the coronavirus. Would there be a mad dash? You better believe it. Hey, for that matter, if somebody said, come here for the cure for cancer, would there be a mad dash? Absolutely. Alzheimer's, dementia, arthritis. And yeah, come here. Come now. Why is it that nobody comes to Jesus? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, he says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In Matthew 28, as Jesus is leaving his disciples here on earth, Preparing to leave, he gives them what we call the Great Commission. Interestingly, many church leaders today are saying that this has kind of, in a lot of ways, become the Great Omission. We don't talk about it enough. And we certainly don't practice it and do it enough. If we did, people would be coming to Jesus. If we did, then buildings would be full. If we did, then gospel meetings would flourish. If we did, then sin would be understood to be the disease. And Jesus would be understood to be the cure. And you and I and everyone would understand that they are all, we are all infected. But for some reason that's just, it's been ignored. But in Matthew 28 and 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, I find it interesting that right now everybody's waiting for what the president will say. He's the all authority, right? Well, what's the president going to say? It's absurd to blame the president for coronavirus. It's absurd to blame any authority for coronavirus. But we still look to them. We look to them. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How are they going to handle it? Are we listening to what Jesus said? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you and I want to get over this infectious disease of sin, then we need to submit to the full authority of Jesus as the cure. Be baptized, buried with Jesus. Learn to do all the things that Jesus has commanded. And in that way, take His yoke upon us. 
You know, a yoke is put upon oxen to control them and drive them. Who's driving you? For some people right now, it's fear that's driving them. Fear of a virus. Fear of running out of things. Fear of containment. Fear of recession. Fear. I don't know about you, but I had rather be able to boldly and confidently say that fear is not driving me. Jesus is driving me. Come to me, he says. Take my yoke upon you. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, has been proclaiming the coming of Jesus out in the wilderness. And he's out there baptizing in the wilderness. And on a certain day, he looks up. And lo and behold, who does he see? He sees Jesus. In John 1 verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Could anything greater be said? A day is coming when someone is going to find a quote-unquote vaccine for the coronavirus. And when that day comes and that vaccine is revealed, there will be much praise and honor given to that doctor, to that laboratory, to whoever it is. And rightfully so. But I'll tell you as a believer in Jesus, as one who fears God, when that day comes and all that honor and glory is given to that doctor and to that science and to that laboratory I pray that in the forefront of my mind the praise and the honor and glory will go to God and to Jesus the praise and the honor and glory due to them because they've given us the intelligence and the raw materials to be able to fight viruses, diseases sicknesses but beyond that, that the glory and honor will be given to them because the most horrendous disease ever imaginable has been cured and will forever be cured by the working and the power of God through Jesus and the shedding of His blood on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. And it doesn't matter if diseases are cured or not on this earth. That will forever be true. And that is a reason to wake up every day. That is a reason to put our faith and trust in God every day. That is a reason to not fear what we may face in this life. That is a reason to not fear the day of our death. But to anxiously await for it. 
when we can be with God. Because our souls will be safe with Him. Do you believe that? I hope you do. This morning, if your life's not right with God, that needs to be your priority. Stop worrying about what the stores are going to have left on their shelves. And start worrying about the condition of your soul and its eternity. First, foremost, always. And we stand ready today to help you. We will pray with you. We will baptize you. Whatever it is that you need to do is your next step to get your life and your relationship right with God to say confidently in your life that Jesus is the cure. Do it today. Why are you waiting? And why would you wait? We don't wait for anything else. So why in the world would you wait for this? Come. I'm always stand and sing.